Welcome to the Nutrition by Carmen podcast. I am so incredibly excited to bring you probably my very favorite episode to date. This is episode number 20, and I have the most incredible guest joining my podcast. If you do not know Jordan Syatt, or if you do not follow Jordan Syatt, I highly recommend that you do. Jordan is one of the people I look up to in the health and fitness industry. His Instagram account is so good. It is so, so good. And if I were to recommend anybody on Instagram to follow for really, really clear information about health, nutrition, and fitness, Jordan Syatt would be the person I would tell you to go and follow. So if you do not know about Jordan, here's a little bit of background on him. So he is an elite power lifter. He is a precision nutrition and Westside Barbell certified coach. He is very well known for having been Gary Vaynerchuk's personal trainer. Gary, if you don't know him, he is a serial entrepreneur. He is such a busy guy. He also has a podcast and an incredible Instagram that I would also recommend you follow as well. Jordan began um, his Syatt Fitness, that's his online fitness coaching business, from his dorm room at the University of Delaware in 2011. So he started the incredible business he has now from his dorm room, and he has now become one of the industry's leading experts in strength training, nutrition, and behavioral psychology. He is also one of the only people in the entire world to deadlift four times his own body weight, which is just, I can't even really wrap my head around that. That's incredible. Um, Jordan's work has been featured all over the world, including a variety of media publications such as CNN, The Huffington Post, Business Insider, Men's Health Magazine, Men's Fitness Magazine, and Schwarzenegger.com. Jordan and his colleague Mike Vacanti co-wrote the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller, Eat It, The Most Sustainable Diet and Workout Ever Made, Burn Fat, Get Strong, and Enjoy Your Favorite Foods Guilt-Free. If you've followed my Instagram, you'll have seen me hold up this book so many times. It is also the best book for fat loss, simple tips, simple strategies to getting your health on track. Um, Jordan has an incredible Instagram following and I am just so beyond honored that he took one hour out of his incredibly busy schedule to talk to me. Um, he also has a relatively newborn baby, so he has so much on the go. Um, this episode, we kind of go all over the place. So we chat about 
um, how Jordan got started because I wasn't sure if everybody listening would know about his journey. Um, also his struggles with food and his relationship with food growing up. Um, and then we just talk about really everything under the sun that you could probably and possibly want to imagine. Um, so I really, really hope you enjoy this episode and I'm just so incredibly touched again that, um, we were able to have this discussion. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Honestly, this is like the biggest honor. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I'm like just a bit speechless, which is not great for a podcast, but we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get through it. We'll get through it. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. It means the world to me. Well, honestly, this is just like such a highlight for me and I will remember this forever. Um, <laughs> so yes, I am um, a bit of a newer nutrition coach. Um, this is like a brand new podcast. You're my second guest. Let's go. Let's um, go. My first guest was my husband. So I thought, well, you know, it was a toss up between the two of you. I thought <laughs> <laughs> he should probably be on there first, maybe. I think that's a good idea. Good show of love and support. I think that's great. Right? Yeah. So anyways, I just wanted to plant that seed because that just sort of, you know, I've, I don't have a gazillion followers. I've got a, you know, smaller audience, but I just Ooh. think, you know, you coming on here and just sharing some of your expertise, I think would just be phenomenal for some of my listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so really the reason, obviously, I wanted you to be honest, I'm a huge fan of yours, honestly. And I've been following you, I don't even know for how long now, but um, your Instagram page is truly just one of the most refreshing pages when it comes to health and nutrition. Thank you. <laughs> oh, and I know I'm not the first person to tell you that, but I just wanted to personally tell you that because... Oh my gosh, it is just, we need more people like you out there <laughs> spreading the message, but also having fun with it. Yeah. Um, you know, but also explaining things in a way that actually makes sense to like the everyday sort of person. Yeah. Yeah. And so I highly recommend you do not follow Jordan. I don't know what you're doing, but you have to <laughs> follow him. It's at Syat Fitness, right? On your Instagram. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yep. Amazing. And I've then tried changing the name, but Instagram won't let me. So. <laughs> oh really? Oh. Yeah, I've just tried changing it to my first and like Jordan Syatt because people will message me and be like, "Hey Syatt, what's going on?" I'm like, "God damn it!" Like, just... <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh my god. So I, I I made that when I was like 20 or 21 years old, and I just it stuck, and Instagram right. won't let me change it now. So it is what it is. Syatt yeah. fits. <laughs> You're locked in there. Okay, that's all good. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well. Okay, so just sort of for my newer listeners out there, I would love if you would just be able to explain a little bit about sort of your journey growing up and like how you got into the health and fitness industry to start with. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, basically, I started with, with wrestling. I'm a, I'm a very short Jewish guy, and I come from a very short Jewish family, and um my mom was worried about her sons, my older brother and I, you know, being picked on and beaten up in school. And so she was like, all right, I'm putting you two in wrestling. She walked in uh, the living room one day and she's like, I'm going to put you two in wrestling. And I was lying on the couch and 
at eight years old, the only wrestling that I knew was WWE style wrestling. So I remember I looked up at her and I was like, you want me to hit someone with a chair? And she was like, no, you idiot, like Olympic style wrestling. And I didn't know what that was, but I was like, all right, sure, let's do it. And I was terrible in school. I was in special education. Um, I was, I'm, I'm the black sheep in the family because everyone else is doctors and lawyers and professors and superintendents and just like super, super smart people. And I was terrible in school. I was just, I was class clown. I couldn't sit still and ADD and all this terrible, terrible, terrible. But I, I loved athletics and I loved sports. And um, I started wrestling and I fell in love with it. I was good at it. And I just, it was something that I really, really enjoyed. And so I starting at eight years old, by the time I got to high school, I made varsity as a freshman. So I beat a junior out for the varsity spot. But um, I was good from a technical and endurance perspective because I've been doing it for a fair amount already. But I was 14, mainly going against like 16, 17, 18-year-olds because it was on varsity. And the strength differential between a 14-year-old and like a 16, 17, 18-year-old is pretty significant. So I was like, I need to get stronger if I'm going to be competitive. And so I, was, I grew up just outside Boston, Massachusetts. So I found a gym a couple towns over from me in a town called Newton, Mass., and I basically, I wrote them an email and I said, listen, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. I'll work for free. Let me just come and learn from you. And I was very blessed because number one, they took me under their wing. And number two, they were incredibly science-based. It was just like such a, a luck of the draw because most gyms, especially at that time, were are not science-based. Most of them are just like horse shit. Um, that gym was incredible. And so from 14 years old, I worked there all the way through high school. I started coaching people by the time I was 16 and I got an unbelievable education from them. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And, um, and then I ended up going to college and I originally started with exercise science because that's what I was told you're supposed to do. And I quickly realized after about a month and a half that the professors had never actually coached anybody that a lot of the tenured professors had not kept up to date with the research. And, and most importantly, I realized from actually coaching real people that, you could have the best program in the world, the most amazing program design, the most incredible meal plan. You could have literally everything perfect, but if the person isn't following it, it means fucking nothing. They need to actually follow it. And I was like, every, everyone knows like they should be eating more fruits and vegetables. Everyone knows they should be exercising, but people know you're, you shouldn't smoke cigarettes. It says on the carton that it's going to kill you. But right now there's someone buying their first pack of cigarettes ever. They're not even addicted, but even though the skull and crossbones is staring them right in the face they're still going to buy it and smoke it. And yeah, so yeah. this is a very simple way of showing that knowledge isn't all people need. There are other reasons why people aren't making the health decisions they should be making, the decisions they want to be making, but they're just not over and over again. So I actually ended up switching to beha behavioral health psychology, which that was a huge, huge, huge win for me and for my education. And that that helped a lot. So uh, I graduated with a degree in behavioral health psychology, uh, minor in strength and conditioning and nutrition. Um, and I've just been doing it ever since. I just like, I haven't had another job since I was 14 years old. Oh my gosh. That's amazing, honestly. And I just love too, that you just sent an email, you know, saying you'll basically do anything in return of just getting that experience sort of, I think, that was sort of honestly like me reaching out for this podcast. I'm like, you know, whatever. I have nothing to lose here. And this is yeah. just for me an incredible experience. And I mean, it's a different thing, but just sort of taking that chance, right? You just never know what will come of it. Shoot your shot. And, and it's funny, like, I didn't say this part of the story because I can ramble on for hours, but 
the first gym I applied to denied me. So I, I grew up in a town called Sudbury, Mass. And I, I went to this gym called Fitness Together. And I think they're a chain. And um, I don't think they're a chain. I know they're a chain. And um, and I applied. I said the same thing. I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. Let me do whatever. And they they replied. They're like, listen, our clientele doesn't want a high school kid walking around. So we're going to say no. And I was so mad. And I went home and my mom was like, how'd it go? What happened? And I was like, they said no. And I was like walking away just about to like go to the basement. And she was like, well, hold on. Now what? And those two words have stuck with me my whole life. And I, I always like, well, now what? And I, and I remember like, what do you mean now what? She was like, you're not going to apply to another gym? Like that's, that's it? Like you're just going to stop there? Oh. And, be and because of that, I, was, I hadn't even thought about just continuing to try. And so then I tried again. I wrote this this gym, uh, an email there in a town called Newton, and they were the one that took me in, and it turned out to be an even better situation. Um, so it was one of those things where you never know. You got to shoot your shot. And just because it doesn't go the first time doesn't mean you shouldn't shoot a second time and a third time and a fourth time. Just like keep going, keep going. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, honestly. That's fabulous. Um, and I also just wanted to ask you sort of, um, growing up, like what was your relationship like with food? Because, mm. you know, you speak, you're obviously a nutrition coach and all of that. And you explain things in such simple terms. Um, but I'm just curious, like if you had any sort of struggles growing up with food and your relationship there and, you know, how has that sort of transformed throughout the years? Yeah. So it's pretty, I think it's pretty interesting. So my family, no one was involved in fitness in my family. I was the only one who liked sports and was good at sports and athletics. Everyone else has struggled with their weight severely and their health severely in my family. Um, and my mom always tells this story where like, I would go to birthday parties when I was really young, like really young, like far too young to even be thinking about food. And my, in my family, we didn't think about, we didn't talk about food or the health of food. It was not part of the discussion. Um, but we'd go to birthday parties and, and specifically there's this place called the Acton Bolodrome. It was a town called Acton and they had this bowling alley and that's where all the kids had their birthday parties. And they would always like give cake out at the birthday parties and I would never have it. And my mom would always be like, why aren't you having the cake? And I'd be like, I just don't like it. I'd rather have fruit. And to this day, I don't, I, ice cream cake is a different story. I fucking love ice cream cake. <laughs> So good. <laughs> regular cake is just like I don't I never really liked it and I wouldn't eat it just to eat it. It's just like that was genetically like how I am, just like this, just who I am. I just I wouldn't I wasn't gonna eat it if I didn't like it, and I just preferred watermelon. So they always have like fruit bowls and stuff, so I'd have that instead. And my mom would always say, You are the only kid in the world who says no to cake for fruit instead. And mm -hmm. so I was very fortunate in that early on, I just I was very good at knowing I would listen to what I like and what I don't like. And I didn't have a huge sweet tooth and my family wasn't very health conscious. And so I, I was a little chubby, but like it was, I was super active as well. Hmm. Where it became an issue was once I made varsity in wrestling, um, it wasn't an issue from eight to 13 because I wasn't cutting weight. As soon as I had to cut weight for wrestling, now I had big problems and I didn't realize it. It was a big problem because wrestling i won't go into excruciating detail but like a lot of extreme weight cuts in very short periods of time so starving yourself dehydrating yourself for 24 to 48 hours not eating as soon as you weigh in you binge you have a huge binge and then you're competing within 72 hours again so then you start the whole binge restrict cycle over and over and over again and the weird part about it was is i don't even know if weird is the right word but interesting at the least is 
you're doing it as a team. Everyone except the heavyweights is cutting weight. So as a team, you're starving yourself. As a team, you're dehydrating yourself. As a team, you're you're binging after you all weigh in. You binge together. It's like a group activity. And my friends who are not on the wrestling team or my my mom or teachers who expressed their concern, you know, at 14, 15, 16 years old, I'm just like, ah, oh, they just don't get it. Like, this is what we do. This is what you have to do if you want to be a good wrestler. And um, I didn't realize it was a problem until I got to college. And all of a sudden, I wasn't surrounded by wrestlers anymore. And I wasn't surrounded by people who also had severe binge eating and, and anorexia and bulimia in some cases. And and then I, I realized, you know, I I never wanted to eat in the dining hall with my classmates because I didn't want to like binge in front of them. So like I would I would always make an excuse not to go eat with them. And then I would just like binge by myself in the dorm. And I realized I had real, real, real issues. Um I started doing like intermittent fasting and so I wouldn't have breakfast. So if my friends all went out to eat breakfast, like I would say, oh no, like I'm not hungry when in reality it was I was scared of eating breakfast. So I didn't want to go with them. So I, I developed severe binge eating and disordered eating as a result of wrestling. And by fortunately, by the time I was about 21, I stopped. Um, I remember like I, I struggled with it for years and years and years. I wanted to stop. I wanted to stop. I wanted to stop, but it was truly difficult I had no idea that you could see a therapist for this type of a thing, like, or you could see specialists who, who help people through these issues. Um, and I didn't talk to anyone about it because I didn't know that it was a thing. And like, I was very ashamed of it. Um, and I remember one night after I binged, I was on winter break. I was at my mom's apartment in Boston and um, she had went to bed. I had just had a huge binge at like two in the morning and I was so upset with myself. And I like, I was like really mad. I like was crying a little bit. I went into the bathroom and I looked myself in the mirror and I was just like, I'm never, ever going to binge again. And I haven't, I haven't, it's been over 10 years now. And like, it was like, I'm, thank God, like I was blessed enough, like to have that change. Cause you know, not everyone has that, like stop on a dime type thing. And not everyone is, is, is capable of, or has the ability to, or whatever. Some people have to go to therapy. Some people have to any number of things, which I'm a huge proponent of, but I, I got my shit in check. And, and very fortunately I've, I've developed a really, really great relationship with food. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for sharing that, honestly, because I think, I think it's important to share this kind of stuff because, you know, if you're just kind of rattling off nutrition facts and nobody really knows about your history, they're like, well, who, who is this person? Right. Yeah. So I think that's really helpful. And then when you had that sort of aha moment, was it just sort of right then and there, you were able to kind of make a switch? Like, or so I knew there were a couple of things I was doing that were perpetuating the binge. So basically one of the things that, that will, that people, one of the reasons people will often binge, there are many reasons, many, many reasons, past trauma, uh, how, how you were brought up, like so many reasons. But the reason that I was binging or one of them was I was intermittent fasting and I started doing this thing where, okay, I, in my head, I knew I was going to binge at night. Like I just knew it was going to happen. So I would binge at night and then I would feel guilty about binging. So then I would fast the next day. And I would think, okay, to make up for the damage I did in the binge, I just won't eat. And that way I will have more calories to spare during my binge at night. And and I kept just thinking, all right, I'm going to stop binging. I'm going to stop binging. But that's not where I had to cut the cycle off. I had to cut the cycle off at the fast because the fast was me punishing myself for the binge from the night before. And what ended up saving me was, I remember I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, I'm not going to binge again. What's the one thing I'm going to do is like tomorrow I'm going to have breakfast. 
Like that was the thing that scared me the most was the idea of having breakfast. Cause that would mean I'd have fewer calories for later in the day. Um, and I, I felt like I should starve myself because I did just eat way more than I should. But by forcing myself to eat breakfast, it actually, that's what changed everything. Having a nice big breakfast earlier in the day, the urge to binge at night, it wasn't gone completely the first day or the second day, but by the end of about the first two weeks of having big breakfast, the urge to binge was just gone completely. It's like, and and I'm not saying everyone has to eat breakfast. You don't have to eat breakfast if you don't want to. But for those who struggle with binge eating, essentially what they often try and do is they try and save as many calories as they possibly can for the end of the day, which then encourages them to binge eat. So if yeah. you want to stop binge eating and you're saving so many calories, you have to, you can't just stop it at the binge. You actually have to stop it at the punishment. And yeah. and once you stop punishing yourself, that's what often will develop a better relationship with food. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. That's great advice, honestly. And I'm so glad you got through all of that. Like that must have been just... oh, it was devastating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you again for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Appreciate. I think it's um, important. Like, yeah. I, I know women tend to be more open about struggles in general. Never mind, just in general. Women tend to be more open to talk and to share their feelings and, and men not as much. And for it was very difficult for me early on. Like I don't know why. It's just it's difficult to share sometimes. Yeah. But I realized the more I shared not only did it help more men, but I mean, 80% of my clients are women, 80% mm -hmm. of my followers are women. Um, and it actually was really helpful for them too, to see that a guy struggles with this stuff as well. And the more that I've shared about it, more men have come out of the woodwork and said the same thing. And, and recently even like, I'm a huge mixed martial arts and fight fan. And a lot of pro fighters are coming out being like, I've got severe disorder. Like these are killers. These are the like jacked, shredded, like savage dudes. And they're like, yeah, I have anorexia. Yeah, I struggle with binge eating. And it's like, this is so great that people are coming out and talking about it now because so many people struggle in silence and suffer in silence yeah. because they don't know that so many other people are struggling with it and they're embarrassed about it. But the more we talk about it openly, the more we can we can not normalize the behavior, but we can, as a community and culture and society, we can like support each other and see like, this is actually much more common than we'd expect. And how can we help people uh, get out of it? Exactly. And I know it's it's obviously easy, easier said than done in certain situations, yes. but I totally agree because, you know, people coming to you now, um, specifically men too, that's, they're probably thinking, oh my gosh, like I'm not the only one that has dealt with this kind of thing. So, you know, just changing other lives and just having that support system sort of grow rapidly is amazing. Yeah. It's been yeah. interesting as well, because women have this phrase that they'll often say, to the effect of they just think they're crazy because they're women, right? They'll be like, oh, I thought I was going crazy. <laughs> it was like, oh, I thought I was crazy. I, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was just crazy because of my hormones. Like they say it all the time. Oh yeah. Oh, I just thought I was going crazy. And then, so for example, when I track my weight, when I do like mini cuts or something and I track my weight fluctuations, women will message me all the time. Be like, oh my God, I had no idea that men's weight fluctuated just like ours weight fluctuates. Cause they thought, well, I just thought it fluctuated for me because I'm a woman. It's like, no, we all, all of our weights fluctuate. We all do actually like women's It's actually a little bit more predictable just based on your menstrual cycle, but all of us have weight fluctuations. All of us struggle with our relationships with food. And I mean, it, a cursory amount of knowledge around uh, behavioral differences and, and uh, understanding what men and women are generally more likely to do. Women are just more likely to talk about it. Just yeah. because men don't talk about it doesn't mean that they're not struggling with it, which is, it's good for everyone to know this because we can all be like, oh, like we actually are all human. We all struggle with basically the same shit in different yeah. ways. So it's nice to open the conversation. I totally agree. And that's what I'm trying to do more with my clients as well, because 
you know, I was the type of person that tried every fad diet, detox, cleanse, all the stuff. And, and I totally get it. If I have someone that comes to me saying the same, you know, it's not the same situation, but I can relate. And I think that also helps them because, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't grow up fit, skinny, all that kind of stuff. Like I've had to really work for it. And I think that helps, you know, be a bit more relatable to people too. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, Okay. I want to ask you actually, um, about, I know when you first started your online business, you started writing free articles on your website, which yes. are all still there, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, all still there. Yep. All still there. Yeah. So you can go and read all Jordan's articles. Um, I remember, I can't remember which podcast you were on, but you were talking about some of the first articles you wrote and you were writing them with, you know, a ton of scientific sort of jargon that you know maybe your mentors were using or you were learning in at the gym or books and stuff like that and you realize that when you look back to read that article it just didn't sound like you as like what you would say to just a, somebody on the street yes so I'm just actually so curious um when you had that sort of moment looking back thinking okay this is not me this this is you know not how I would speak is that sort of when you changed into, you know, writing articles, just as you would say out loud to sort of the everyday type of person? And like, did that translate then into sort of what your Instagram has become now? A hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah. I have you ever heard of the authors Chip and Dan Heath? Uh, no, I don't think so. So they have some amazing books. I, okay. I love all their books. Um, yeah. They have one called The Power of Moments, one called Decisive, one called Made to Stick. Made to Stick was the first one of theirs that I read. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. And that book changed my life forever. Um, Made to Stick is essentially just about, you know, how to make certain topics or certain things that you say, quote unquote, sticky, what makes people remember them. Mm -hmm. And scientific jargon is not easily memorable. Like, oh yeah, talking about, you know, thoracic extension and anterior pelvic tilt, and we could talk about the Krebs cycle. Like that shit's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. It's not fun to talk about, and it's very difficult to remember it. So I remember reading the book and, and basically they were giving ideas on how to make things more sticky. And one of the examples that they used was, um, you know, eat breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, dinner like a pauper, which I would imagine most, if not all of us have heard at some point. How long has this phrase been alive? It, long enough so that they were using the word pauper. Right. right? It's like, like, it's a long fucking time. Um, how has that phrase lasted so many generations? How is it so sticky that we still use it to this day and people are still teaching it to this day? And so I was like, man, I need to speak in a way that is just so simple and easy to understand, which unfortunately, I think that's just how I generally, like if I'm working on one in person, I'm going to speak to them like I speak to anybody, like I speak to a friend, whatever. But for some reason, when people start writing online or presenting information online to a camera, then they start to be like, oh my God, I have to sound a certain way. I have to like let them know that I'm very intelligent and smart and I have this knowledge. So I've got to use these big words. And you're actually doing it to stroke your own ego because you want people to say, oh my God, you're so smart. And you're actually not helping the people who need it the most because your verbiage is now out of their range of knowledge. So it becomes unapproachable, unrelatable, and they're not going to learn anything. So 
you know, I just started swearing more and speaking like <laughs> I usually do. And, and like a, a, a really common example I see fitness coaches use is, is they say the word, like, if you consume this amount of protein, or if you're consuming this, I'm like, do you ever say the word consume in your real life? Do you actually, I'm going to go consume lunch. No, I'm going to go <laughs> eat my fucking lunch. It's like, so true. I, I see coaches like in their captions be like, make sure you consume like one gram of protein. I'm like, why the fuck did you say consume? Oh my like, God. Just say eat. Yeah. Is it, and they think because it sounds smarter. And I'm like, if I heard someone say consume out loud, I would be like, you're a, an obnoxious piece of shit. Just say eat. <laughs> right. So, and the more that I've done it, the better it, the better the results I've gotten with myself, with my clients, with the overall response to people. Yeah. And I think people tend to appreciate it because if they, if they wanted to learn at that high of a level, they would go to school for this. Like exactly. if they were that interested in learning the the deeper science and seeing the citations and understanding all this, this really high level jargon, they would be a professional in this industry. Yeah. So that's, that's how I really started. I think that was probably around like 2015. Yeah. Yeah. No, honestly, I just, I, that's sort of when I first started, I was, you know, had my precision nutrition book and I was like reading all the stuff. I thought, what is this? Like, how do I break this down to actually make sense to myself? And so that's why I just, I love your Instagram, honestly, because I'm like, this just makes so much sense. Thank you. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I would love to just chat with you about fat loss and the scale. Um, you know, it's a huge topic and, um, you know, I've definitely had a number of clients myself included where I grew up and kind of lived and breathed by that number on the scale and what it said. And, you know, I would just love for you to be able to maybe explain like what the difference actually is between, um, like actual fat loss, like losing body fat and, the scale weight or that number on the scale that we see. Yeah, this is a great, great topic, great discussion. A lot of people get very emotional about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can start off just by talking about weight and fat are not the same thing, right? Let's like clear yeah, the air. When yeah. people say, I want to lose weight, it's like, okay, if you want to lose weight, you know, take a dump, you'll lose weight. Right. Um, if, if I drink the rest of this bottle of water, I'll gain about a pound. Not because I gained fat, but because if what's heavier, an empty bucket or a full bucket of water, obviously you pick up an empty bucket, it, it weighs next to nothing. You fill that bucket up with water and all of a sudden it's really, really difficult to carry because it's more heavy and you can consider yourself a bucket. You put water in it, you're going to weigh more. Um, so you can gain weight just from drinking water. You can lose weight just from going pee. You can lose weight by cutting your leg off. You can lose weight by dehydrating yourself. You can lose weight by doing a detox cleanse and like shit your brains out, but you're not actually losing any fat, right? So the scale is very easily manipulated. Manipulated. I almost had trouble with that one. Manipulate. It's very easily manipulated. Um, fat loss is exactly what it sounds like. It's just fat, right? So and so. The scale, it, it's very difficult to know like, okay, exactly how much fat have I gained or lost? Like weight, it, it will tell you exactly how much you weigh. It'll tell you everything in your body, your bones, your tendons, your ligaments, joints, muscles, fat, glycogen, stomach content, all of that. Um, fat loss is just fat. Now, when we're weighing ourselves, a lot of people get really emotional because like, it's good. like they could be quote unquote, perfect with their nutrition, perfect with their exercise but the scale isn't going down as quickly as they want or it's fluctuating up and down. And the reality is you have to understand weight fluctuations are normal. 
weight fluctuations are, your weight will fluctuate for any number of reasons. Um, it could, maybe you drank more water, maybe you had more salt. So you're holding on to more water. Maybe you didn't poop as much today. Maybe you pooped a lot today. So then you, you weigh less. Maybe you didn't get as much sleep the last couple of nights. So your cortisol is high. So you're holding on to more water. Maybe you're, it's about to be your period. So like, you're going to gain a lot more weight that way. Like there are many reasons why the scale will fluctuate. And what a lot of people do because the scale fluctuates, they end up having these demonization discussions, how the scale is evil and you should never look at it. And it da, 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 da. it's like, well, that actually creates far more problems because you've now said this is an inanimate object and this inanimate object is somehow evil. Yeah. If you're having a huge emotional response, to this inanimate object, that's not the scale's fault. That's your fault. That's a you issue. And we can work to fix that. So the biggest issue I've found is that people, they don't speak scale language is what I call it. Mm -hmm. So the scale, like, do you speak Chinese? No. Me either. Mm -hmm. It would be pretty ridiculous if someone was speaking to me in Chinese and I just got pissed off. I was like, what the fuck? I can't believe you said that. And they'd be like, do you know what I said? I'd be like, I have no idea what you said, but I'm really mad about it. Like, that's ridiculous. That makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what happens when people step on the scale and they get really mad because of the number they see. They don't, they're not actually speaking the language. They don't know what's going on. So when I talk about scale and weighing yourself, I'm a huge proponent of you weigh every day, but you compare month to month. A lot of people, one of the reasons they they end up getting pissed off at the scale is because they weigh in on June 1st and they compare their weight on June 1st to the weight on June 2nd. And they compare their weight on June 2nd to their weight on June 3rd. And their weight on June 3rd to June 4th. It's like hold on. That is not an appropriate, that's sort of like saying, okay, I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read one page from this book. Then I'm going to read one page from another book. Then I'm going to read one page from another book. Then I'm going to go back to the first book and read the second page. This is all over the place. It's, it makes no sense. So when I was working with one-on-one clients, I would say for the first month, we're going to work together. You are not allowed to complain about your weight once. And I would say, if you complain once about your weight during the first month, we're done working together. It's like we are, and, and it's nice because it sets from the beginning a precedent that the scale is not the end all be all, that like we're going to use it, but we're not determining everything by it. Um, and they would always like, well, why? Why? Like, because the first month is just data collection. All we're doing is getting all of the data. So you weigh in June one, you weigh in June two, you weigh in June three, you compare June one to July one, and you compare July one to August one. You compare June 2 to July 2, July 2 to August 2, August 2, September 2. And this way, you could have all these fluctuations all throughout the month. But when you actually start comparing and track and, and uh, analyzing month to month, you can see, oh, so on June 1, my weight was here. June 2, my weight spiked up. But July 1, my weight was here. And July 2, my weight was here. So you can see this trend over time. This is super beneficial for everyone, but especially for women. Because let's say your, your period starts July 15th or, or June 15th, whatever it is, the 15th of month. You weigh in June 14th. And it's like a low for that month's part. You're like, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm crushing it. I'm down two and a half pounds so far in two weeks. This is great. Then June 15th comes and it spikes up six pounds. And like maybe June 14th, you weighed 170. And then June 15th, you weigh 176. You're like, what the fuck? How did I jump six pounds overnight? Well, that's actually a very moderate amount of scale increase during a, a menstrual cycle. It's not that much. But you're comparing June 14th to June 15th. But if you compare June 15th to July 15th, 
maybe on July, on July 15th, you spiked up, but instead of being 176, now you're 175. And then on, on August 15th, instead of being 175, you're 173. So you're still getting these consistent spikes right around the same time. But if you analyze it month to month, it's still going down on that monthly trend. And that's what we look for. We weigh every day. We compare month to month, and all we look for is what trend is your weight following. And if you do that, then you'll actually see over time it's going down as long as you're doing it properly. If month to month it's not going down, you're doing something wrong. You can adjust your calories. You can adjust your protein. You can adjust your exercise, any of that. But as long as you're doing it properly, you're being consistent, the trend will go down month to month. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is so helpful because I think, yeah, we we just weren't, or at least I wasn't taught you know, about what the scale actually meant growing up. I don't think anybody really knew. Um, but I think that is amazing. And when you were first working with one-on-one clients saying like for the first month, you can't um, complain about your weight. What was the response? Like were most people pretty good about that or? Um... Uh, they started off being good about that. And then by day six, they were freaking out oftentimes mm-hmm. like, well, oh my God, like I, I don't want to complain. I'd be like, good, don't complain. You're not allowed yeah. to. And yeah. then, but then we'd have conversations. They'd be like, oh, I don't want to complain, but I'm just like, I'm not sure why my weight's not dropping. And I always be like, well, what did I say on our consult call? And then I was like, well, you said we're comparing month to month and your weight isn't going to go down every day and it's going to fluctuate. It's like, perfect. You answered it perfectly. Keep going. And like, <laughs> That's, the, I'm going to use that. I love that. It works so well. And you have to say it with love. You have to like, yeah. like make sure they know you care about them and, and you're not being short with them. Like say it with love, but it, I found it works so much better because if you really think about it, I very much think one of the primary objectives of a good coach is to just make sure your clients don't quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's why you're there. And obviously to, to lead them in the right path, but I consider myself an educator in many ways. And one of my favorite quotes as an educator is my job isn't to tell you what to see. It's to show you where to look, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't want to say like, you have to do this. And I just want to be like, I sort of want to be like the the bumper guards at a bowling alley. Like, just make sure you don't fall in the gutter. Like you're going to bounce around and make mistakes and you're going to fumble and fall and go all over the place. And you might not hit any of the pins, but at least you didn't go in the gutter. I think that's what a coach should, a coach is, I'm the gutter, I'm the gutter guard. And I just want to make sure you don't go in the gutter. You don't quit. And I found people were more likely to quit when I, when I fell into the trap of, of trying to console them for feeling bad about their weight not going down in the first week or two. And I was like, this is my fault. It's not their fault. So how can I fix that? Don't you fucking complain in the first month about your weight? And here's why. And anytime they start feeling like it, tell me why you want to and tell me what we spoke about. Then they can reiterate it so they can really internalize the message. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. That's I'm I'm honestly going to use that. I think good, good. Yes, and just sort of on that note, um, how do you approach um, consistency with? Um, I guess it would be your inner circle members now. Um, you know, if they're saying, you know, I am like doing everything to the T, like everything is dialed, but you know, kind of like you just spoke about, like I'm not seeing the results that I'm expecting from being as consistent as I think. I'm being like, how do you approach a person that like that? Yeah. So let's stick with just one-on-one. Uh, like I'll, let's say I have a one-on-one client. It's easier that way. Um, yeah. just because if it's, if it's not one-on-one, then you really have far less information about the person. Mm-hmm. Um, so assuming I have a one-on-one client who's like, I just feel like, you know, I'm dialed, I'm doing everything perfectly. This actually happens a lot. Um, and this is, 
have you seen my consistency calendar? Yes. Yeah. So yes. this is where I got the idea for my consistency calendar. Yeah. So I will, it's, I don't have any like uh, research to support this, but I've been doing this for a long time. I've worked with a lot of people. I would say like 98.5% of the people who say they're doing everything right are not actually doing everything right. And they're actually aware of it, but they're in a moment of emotional turmoil. And then they just get upset about it and say they're doing everything right. When they come back to a little bit more logical frame of mind, they're like, yeah, never mind. So this is one of the reasons why I love doing things via email. I think in-person coaching is better for, for strength training. I think online coaching is better for nutrition because you can actually have very deep conversations and you can have a backlog of everything they've ever said via email. And this is tremendously powerful. Mm -hmm. So I would deliberately ask questions in the console and in certain emails just to get a response out of them. So I could always go back and copy and paste it and show them later on. So the, the way I came up with the consistency calendar was I had this one client and this was happening a lot, but I had one client, I'll never forget this. She told me that she, it, like on one day, she was like, oh, like I just haven't been consistent for the last few weeks. Like it hasn't been going well, da, 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 da. Like I'm getting back on track today, today. Boom, cool. Two days later, she sends me an angry email. Why aren't I making progress? I've been perfect. I've been doing everything right, da, 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 da. And I'm looking at our email thread and I'm like, two days ago, you told me you haven't been consistent for two weeks. And now you're telling me you've been doing everything right. What's going on? And so- I copy and pasted the email that you sent, or I sent a screenshot. And I was like, do you remember this? And she was like, oh my God, I completely forgot. Which like, this happens all the time. And there's a tremendous amount of research around people who, people who struggle to lose weight consistently overestimate or underestimate how much they're eating. And people who struggle to gain weight consistently overestimate how much they're eating. This is not like a malicious lie. They just forget and they over under, underestimate. So what I started doing is I started tracking clients' consistency without them knowing. So every day they would email me their weight, their their protein, their calories from the day before, all that stuff. And if they hit it, then I would just mark a red X. Cool, they were consistent. If they didn't, then for some reason I chose a circle. I did a black circle and that was inconsistent. And then at the end of the month, 31 days, I would calculate how consistent they were on a percentage basis. If they hit their calories and protein, uh, then they were consistent. If they didn't hit their calories and protein, then they were inconsistent. If someone was 80% consistent or more throughout the month, which works out to about 24 to 26 days a month of being consistent, they never complained about their rate of progress. But if they were under that, there were a lot more people complaining. And then I could always say, well, listen, based on everything you sent me, you were 42% consistent this month. That is a fail. If you got a 42 on a test in school, you flunked. So I'm not saying you failed everything, but I am saying, can you expect great results when you're giving an F effort in class. Like, of course not. And they, that was a huge for them. And then I was like, man, I should have them track their consistency. Mm -hmm. So they would send their weight, they'd send their measurements, send their pictures, send their calories and their protein. But then they, I made a calendar for them to track on. And they were like, oh my God, like I thought I was being super consistent. And they're usually being 30, 40, 50, 60% consistent, usually at most. So just by tracking your consistency with that, it, it opened people's eyes to being like, I am nowhere near as consistent as I need to be. Yeah, it's so true, honestly, because I I do all my check-ins online with my clients as well, um, but then I'll text them and stuff throughout the week. And it's funny because 
sometimes during the text messages, they'll have told me, you know, oh, I've just had a cookie. I've had a donut or whatever. But then in the questionnaire that they answer, there's no mention of that. And it's almost yeah. like, <laughs> I don't think they're, they're not purposely leaving it out. I just truly think there's like, I can't remember what I had yesterday. For exactly. You exactly. Just remember. So I think that is so huge. And just, it's, I think just having it right there in your face, like the X's and the O's, it's like, it's just seeing it plain and simple on a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, and it's just truly people not, you know, thinking they're doing so much more than what they really are. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are yeah. even things like that. I'll, I'll never forget this one. Actually, I need to reply to his text. This is one of my, one of my first ever online clients who I'm still very good friends with. Um, he's a firefighter out of Massachusetts. He texted me the other day and I forgot to reply. Um, I'll never forget this. His name is Jerry. Super funny, really nice guy, uh, firefighter, father, husband. And when we first started working together, he started losing weight pretty fucking fast, like rapidly. And then out of nowhere, just stopped. And when I do calorie guidelines, I do them in a way that is um, enough to notice significant progress, but not so much that it's unsustainable. So when he hit this flat line out of nowhere that lasted, like it wasn't like it just stalled for a day. Remember, like we compare month to month. So it was probably about like six to eight weeks of no movement whatsoever. And I was like, okay, now this is starting to be a little bit weird. So then we were, I was like, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send me a picture of everything that goes in your mouth. Every single thing that you, I don't care if it's a fucking ice cube, everything that you eat, I want to see it. Everything that you drink, I want to see it. He starts sending me pictures and by, by like 10 AM, he sent me pictures of his iced coffees. These from Dunkin' Donuts, large iced coffees from Dunkin' Donuts, which is fine, but they were like white. And I was like, what, what's in the coffee? And he was like, cream. I was like, are you counting the cream in your calories? And he was like, oh, fuck. He has a hard Boston accent. He's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> he does three large iced coffees a day, which like, that's cool. Tackle one thing at a time. They're all white with cream. I'm like this guy's getting an extra thousand plus calories a day just from coffee cream. And he wasn't lying. He had, he just, he just forgot, right? Like, oh shit. That adds calories. So there's so many things like this, that, that will happen and pop up and people will, for those whole six to eight weeks, he swore up and down. He was, I'm following it to a T because mm -hmm. he thought he was. Yeah. And aside from that mistake, he was, but he just overlooked it. So yeah. like most of the time, the vast majority of time when people say I'm following it to a T, even though they, in their mind, they're being truthful and honest and they actually are. They're not following it. There's a mistake that somewhere there's a needle in the haystack that the coach needs to find, whether it's uh, stuff that they're not telling you or stuff that they don't even see themselves. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I had a client that sort of similar, but it was with olive oil and a salad dressing. Yes. <laughs> Buckets of it. And, you know, they thought nothing of it. Totally fine. But when you pile it on, oh my God, does that add up? Like, oh, you know, and just like scaling it back. Um, the fact, you know, everything went back down on track so and that's a difficult one because olive oil is so good for you like I there's know. <laughs> so many great qualities about it avocado olive oil all that stuff and i encourage everyone to be using it but yeah. it's like now we've got to get our portion sizes in control we've got to be like listen two tablespoons is 200 calories so like just measure it out and be aware totally yeah i know so okay i love that piece um um, I wanted to also just ask you about, um, you know, people that are wanting to get their health on track, but are putting these like timelines onto it. You know, I want to lose X amount of weight, you know, by this date. And they want these fat rapid 
fat results, fat loss results. Um, you know, how do you kind of speak to somebody about that? Um, cause I know it can be touchy and, you know, you want to approach it in a way where you understand where they're coming from, but also you want to say like, it won't be sustainable. And like, we're all in the, you know, industry of sustainable fat loss. And so just for those people that want those quick fixes, how do you approach that? Yeah, it's a terrible fucking idea. It's, like, <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible idea. Um, there, There's so much that we could talk about, but I'll start by saying one of my phrases that I think is the most important phrase that I use. If the methods are unsustainable, then the results are unsustainable. And I say this all the time. And, and what it means is if the if the methods that you use to attain a certain result are unsustainable, then the results that you get from using that method are inherently unsustainable. And people do this all the time. They're like, okay, well, I'm going to do a juice cleanse, mm -hmm. lose all this weight, and then I'll be good. And I'm like, but what the fuck do you think happens once you stop doing the thing that got you to lose that weight? Like you're just going to all of a sudden, everything will be great and you'll maintain, stay exactly where you are. Um, it's actually very interesting. If you look at the research around brain activity in gamblers, I find this fascinating. The response in the brain to a gambler who wins versus a gambler who almost wins is nearly identical. So, and this is why we see people who struggle with gambling. Like my grandfather struggled with it terribly, like lost his whole family and house and everything to it. But like, they're always talking about how they almost won. Oh I, oh, oh, I almost won. Whether it's the horses or whether it's whether they're actually in a casino. And I almost won. I almost and they keep feeding it. They keep feeding it. They keep. I almost won. I almost won. I almost won. And like that's all they talk about. And we see this with people who almost lose and maintain weight all the time. Ah, uh, the only thing that works for me is eating twelve hundred calories. Ah, uh, the only thing that works for me is doing these extreme juice cleanses. It's like, well, let's define work. Like, well, I lost 50 pounds last time. And then what? Then I gained it back. Okay, so it didn't work. It working implies that you're able to do it forever. And so they lose weight. They almost win. And then they gain it all back. It's like, okay, so we need to change the methodology here. Yeah. Because clearly it's not working. And oftentimes they, they just want to lose it as quickly as they can and finish the process as quickly as they possibly can. And I understand, like, ideally, I, I would love that too. Like, if I could get a six-pack by tomorrow, like, yeah, that would be fucking great. But, like, that's just not how it works. And I think by attaching an end date to it, by a timeline, you're setting yourself up for massive failure. Mm -hmm. Because, number one, like, you're not a static being. Like, you can't predict everything that's going to happen. Um, even if everything in life goes exactly the way you want it to, like, work, family, stress. Like, er let's say everything goes perfect. You're still going to fluctuate. You still, like, don't know exactly what your weight is going to do for any number of reasons. But... If you look at from the long term, like, okay, by what's today? Today is, holy shit, today is February 28th. Let's say that by, I say by June 1st, I want to lose, I don't know, 30 pounds, whatever it is. Well, let's say I lose, I don't know, let's say I lose one pound a week on average for the next two months. That's about eight pounds over the next two months. So by, so by, I don't know, that's, that's May. So by May, I would be eight pounds down. Well, in my mind, I said I should lose 30 pounds by June one. And now I'm not even halfway there. So I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it. I quit. I'm not even, I'm nowhere close to it. It's not going to work, whatever. Meanwhile, I just lost eight pounds very sustainably in a very enjoyable method. But because I didn't hit that completely arbitrary made up goal and made up deadline, I consider myself a failure. 
there's this is a forever thing. Like this is from now until you die, which is yeah. hopefully a long time from now. So whether it's June 1 this year or June 1 next year or June 1 the year after, who gives a shit as long as once you hit it, you can maintain it forever. Yeah, 100%. Totally agree. And so what would you say, like, what is like an actual sustainable, realistic rate of fat loss if you're, you know, being that 80% consistent kind of all in? Because some of my clients will lose, you know, a pound a week, not all the time, but they think that's, that's horrible. And I'm like, that's freaking awesome. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. People love to be like, oh, I've only lost a pound this week. I'm like, only? That's fabulous. (laughs) Where where the fuck did only come? And then they're like, well, Janice at the office lost 17 pounds from doing keto. I'm like, all right, well, how many times has Janice done this? 12. Okay, well, let's, how about we focus on you? Stop comparing yourself to someone else and let Janice do her own shit. Like stop focusing on these other fucking people and just focus on you. And um, man, yeah, that that's, so I would say an average, and this is, I'm not a math guy. I'm not like the best at math, but I understand averages, but for some reason, people completely overlook what average means. So let's really hammer this home. An average of half a pound to two pounds per week, anywhere in that range is really good. If you have a lot of weight to lose, if you are severely obese and you have a lot of body fat, you might lose faster at the beginning. You might lose three, four, five, six, seven pounds in a week, but it will slow down until you get to about half a pound to two pounds per week on average. So let's say you're, you're, losing fat and the first in the first month let's say you lose eight pounds in the first month right so that's two pounds a week you could lose zero pounds for a whole another month for a whole extra month and the average is still one pound a week right so you're fine Mm -hmm. people think like oh my god but i haven't lost anything in a month but your average is what we're looking at so yeah. people get so wrapped up like per weeks and then they think you should be losing it every single week. It's not, you're not going to lose it every single week. It's an average. So you have to look at the totality of time that you've been 80% consistent and then take that average. That's how you look at it. So between half a pound to two pounds a week is generally a very safe, very sustainable amount. Two pounds a week, especially the leaner you are, you really run the risk of starting to lose muscle mass, being very, very hungry, uh, not being as sustainable. So the leaner someone gets, the less I like to see them lose per week. So for me, if I'm losing half a pound a week, I'm stoked. Like that's that's great for someone who has a lot more to lose between a pound to two pounds is generally a little bit better. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Well, you heard it here, everybody. <laughs> Jordan said, <laughs> no, it's just, it's, I, I get it too. Cause like when I was trying to lose fat back in the day, I thought like one pound, that's nothing. But if you add it up over time, it's it seriously, it's, it's great progress. Oh my God. It's incredible. That. I would get clients emailing me. Like I've only lost one pound or I've only lost whatever it is. And my response would be like, tell me what you mean by only. I know. I hate that word. Like let's take out only. <laughs> let's remove it. Let's yeah. remove only from your vocabulary. Like I've only done this. I've only shut the fuck up. Yeah. It's, I know. it's, it's, and it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I have to get pissed off. <laughs> um, okay. I know we're getting close to time, but I just wanted to ask you, and I know you've talked about this before the power of daily steps and walking and movement yeah. and why, you know, if, if you could only choose sort of one exercise that you could do, why it would be walking. Yeah. Walking is without question, the single best exercise 
Uh, fortunately, we live in a world that allows us to choose many different forms of exercise. And let's say someone can't walk, maybe they're disabled, whatever it is. Um, it's just movement. We just want consistent movement. What's really interesting is everyone nowadays is talking about like hit classes and CrossFit and bodybuilding and and uh, Barry's boot camp and all this stuff, right? It's like and and Orange Theory. If we look at the longest living people in the world, and by the way, those things are all great. They're all fantastic if you like doing them. If we look at the longest living populations in the world, it's not crossfitters. It's not bodybuilders. It's not like people who do hit that the longest living people in the world walk the most. Mm-hmm. That's it. And it's they, there are many other factors at play as well. Like you can Google search like longest living populations by country and you will find a like a top, a top 100 list. And you'll see that that uh, a city in Japan is number one. And you'll see like, I believe six or seven is Switzerland and Italy is in the top 10. So what's cool is the nutrition is vastly different in each of these countries. Their nutritional choices and options, their diets are completely different. So we know that different diet, like the diet is not the end all be all. You can eat a variety of different foods and nutrients and still be very, very healthy. The common denominator is walking. It's just movement. Another common denominator that I think is equally important, especially here in the West, is that they're not grinding for work 24-7. Yes. These people have a very good work-life balance. They don't live to work. Yeah. They they work to live. They do as much as they need. And then like oh, two in the afternoon, let's go have a glass of wine with the family. We'll go on a walk. Like we hang out. Like work and money doesn't dictate everything. It shouldn't be a surprise or a shocker that like entrepreneurs are not the world's longest living people. Like, right. right? It's like they yeah. are super stressed out, always on the go. It's if you really want to be the healthiest that you possibly can be, walk a lot every mm-hmm. single day and try and relax a little bit and like get out of the rat race of grinding and trying to make more money. It's uh, I love the United States of America. Like I, I absolutely love it. I love what it was founded on and I love so much about it. Unfortunately, so much of the culture has become grind, 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 work, work, work. And I think we've actually lost a lot of the family values as a result of that. And I would love to see more like, you know what, I'm going to take the day off and just go hang out with the family. I'm going to yeah. take the day off and just like go on a walk or, you know, I'm going to sleep in today and get my workout in and then just grill with the family and have a glass of wine, whatever it is. Like, yeah, that is a much healthier lifestyle rather than this rat race of seeing who can make more each month. A hundred percent, honestly. And, um, I, I was just in Argentina for my honeymoon with my husband. Oh, congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, and it was just amazing because I'm in Vancouver, Canada. Okay. And, yeah. And so, you know, whenever I go out for dinner or something here, we always get asked by the servers, like, Oh, are you ready to order your drink? You're ready to order your main. And it's like, you're on this like clock of like yeah. up an order. Yeah. As in Argentina, we could just sit with an espresso for hours and no one gave it. Yes. And I was like, I feel so relaxed right now. And just like at peace with everything, because there's not that pressure of like, hurry up, let's go, go, go right? That mentality. And yes. so having that balance, oh my gosh, I agree. I would love to implement siestas, the best thing ever. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. It's like, and that's one of the best things about traveling. I think, you know, whether it's, uh, I can't speak for Canada, I'm not Canadian, but it's definitely here in the US. It's like, it's so fucking huge. And mm-hmm. people are so like, they don't want to go anywhere. They don't want to travel. They just want to like, I remember being in college and there were kids in my class like and I had between high school and college I took a year off I traveled for a year lived in the Middle East and um 
when I got to college, there were like, there were kids who I was like, are you going to study abroad? And they'd be like, no, no, I, I don't want to miss my friends. I'd be like, are you stupid? Like <laughs> you have a chance to travel to another country, make new friends, meet new people, learn a new culture, try new food. And you want to stay in Newark, Delaware, because you don't want to miss your fucking friends in bumfuck New Jersey. Like, are you out of your mind? And it's a big part of the culture here. Uh, but traveling is one of the best things you can do because it allows you to see other cultures and how they live and, and yeah. realizing like we take shit way too seriously in the West. Like we we need to fucking relax. Yeah. Especially like this grind hustle culture. It's it's not good for us. No, it's not. It's really not. But yeah, more more chill time is appreciated. <laughs> yeah. Go on right. a walk. Go on a yes. walk with your with your friends, with your spouse call someone, listen to a podcast, like move, get outside or whatever it is. Like, it's so important. It's so important. I know like you never regret going out for a walk or doing a work. Ever. Yes. Ever. <laughs> Ever. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I really want to be respectful of your time. Um, and I just want to thank you honestly so much. Cause I know you posted on your Instagram, you've been doing three to four podcasts a day, yeah. for six days a week for four years. Is that since, since 2018? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so, and now you're, you're going to start scaling that back a little bit. Yeah, basically. So I've been doing between two to four a day, six days a week since 2018. And I, it, because I love it. Like, yeah, I love that You can be in Canada and I can be in Texas and we can have this amazing conversation. And if you and your husband are ever in Dallas, you'll come over for dinner because we had this conversation. And like, I love doing this. I love meeting people all over the world. And I was very fortunate growing up that I had people take me under their wing and gave me their time when they didn't need to. And so I love this stuff. And I think this is what makes our industry and, and society as a whole better. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I just had a daughter six months ago. She's six months yesterday. And I know she is the cutest baby <laughs> old Abe on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. She's so sweet. I, just, I want to spend more time with her and my wife. And, and I also... I haven't been as active on my feed on Instagram because I've, you know, I, I'm with her during the morning and then I'm doing podcasts so much during the afternoon. And then by the time I want to be with her before bed and that by the end of it, I just haven't posted on Instagram. So I want more time for Instagram and for other platforms as well. So I'll be scaling it back to instead of doing two to four a day, I'll do two a week, which mm-hmm. will be much less, but it'll be it'll be better for my work and family life. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I I really respect that. And I think it's, you know, you've served so many people when you type in your name to podcasts, it's a million of them pop up. Um, So I just honestly, this has been like such a dream for me. I'm so thankful that you just came on here because yeah, I've learned so much from you just over my really short nutrition coaching career. And yeah, I cannot thank you enough. It's my pleasure. Listen, I do a lot of these and, and like, you know, and I don't say this on the vast majority of them, but you're a fantastic host. You you are oh. very articulate. You ask great questions, uh, very well-spoken, well-thought-out. Like I think if you continue to do this, it could be really, really helpful for a lot of people. And it'll be very cool to see episode 100 and 200 and 300 come out and, and to watch as the audience grows. And I just don't want you to quit. Like, you know, my job with clients is don't let them quit. Like, don't quit. Keep doing yeah. this. Do it often and do it frequently. And I know those are two synonymous words and I just repeated it basically, but like do them, don't stop. Just keep going every week over and over and over again. For the first several years of my career, the only person who saw any of my content was my mom. So yeah. like, just, just keep going. Don't stop. It's you're, you're really, really good. And you have a knack for it. 
Oh my gosh. Thank you. That means the world to me. I will not quit. I won't give up. I will yeah. not. I'll keep yeah. going. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for spending the hour with me. I so appreciate it. And I, I can't wait to publish this to my my following. <laughs> of course, absolutely. And I mean it. If your husband and you ever come to Dallas, my wife and I will have you over for dinner. We would love to see you. Oh my gosh. I'd love to try one of Nini's salads. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're actually going to be yeah. filming those on Friday. <laughs> oh, amazing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And thank you so much. This was unbelievable. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. I'll talk to you soon. You too. Take care. Bye. Okay. Bye.